Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. This is episode 753. Got a great guest. Should be a great interview. We've got Jason Cohen, the founder of WP Engine, with us. We're going to be discussing all things about how Jason um, decided that there was a space in WordPress hosting, what led to the decision to start WP Engine, what are some of the major challenges. We're also going to discuss a bit of the wider tech world, the turmoil we've faced in the last week with SVP, Silicon Valley Bank, um, Bitcoin, whatever Jason is prepared to discuss with us. Uh, Rob, he's always got insightful things to say and he's one of the more deeper thinkers, in my opinion, in the WordPress space. Um, also got my co-host with me. So, Jason, would you like to quickly give introduction of yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. And first of all, 753? Wow, <laughs> that is a lot. I don't know if I should say congratulations or condolences or something, but that sounds that's amazing. That's that's really great. Yeah, um, yeah I've, I've just I've just about learned how to do podcasting now. Oh I'm a God, slow learner. I, I don't give up normally, Jason, but I'm an extremely slow <laughs> learner. Well, that's persistence is at least half the battle, right? So WP Engine's my fourth company. Um and uh, I did. I've done a hardware startup with a co-founder that was bootstrapped. Which, by the way, that's hard to do. <laughs> so you don't raise money, and you do have hardware expenses. Um, also, bootstrapped a company called Smart Bear, which is where my online handle, a Smart Bear, comes from. And uh, also, in a, in a weird sense, an origin of WP Engine, which I'll explain. And then WP Engine for the last thirteen years, we started in early two thousand ten, and. Uh, Probably everyone who listens to this show knows what it is, but nevertheless, like you said, we can talk a lot about you know what the opportunity looked like, why I did it, and uh, what happened in the early days, and what we think is happening next, and so forth. And then I've been writing about startups and from sort of a geek slash engineer perspective um, on uh, blog.asmartbro.com for um, I checked the other day sixteen years, which is again <laughs> sort of hard to imagine. Um, and so I still write uh, sporadically. I try to write uh, long things and only maybe five to ten times a year, but try to make them real good. And so that's what it is. So the opposite of Twitter. Uh-huh. <laughs> you said it, not me. Uh, um, all right. Uh, we've got my great co-host, Kurt. Kurt, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Absolutely. Thanks, Jonathan. My name is Kurt, Kurt Von Annen. I uh, own an agency called Manana Nomas. I specialize in membership and learning websites and uh, love working with uh, Jonathan and WP Tonic team. Oh, thanks, Kurt. Um, before we go into the meat and potatoes of this great interview, we've got a couple of messages from our major sponsors. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. 
Hi there folks, it's Jonathan Denwood here and I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors and that's Zolo.com. If you've got a WordPress website, a membership website, and you're looking to link it with a great financial management package, Zolo can provide this solution. So all your bookkeeping needs are done through Zolo. If you need new inbox email functionality and you don't want to pay the high charges that Google will charge you, Zolo offers a great email inbox platform. They've got over 50 apps and services that all integrate fantastic with WordPress at great value levels and they almost always offer a fully functioning free product as well. So it's just amazing value. Also, if you're a WordPress developer or agency owner, Zolo are looking for great partnerships in the WordPress space. To get all this information, all you have to do, folks, is just go over to Zolo.com and they have the products that you're looking for. Thank you so much, Zolo, for supporting WP Tonic and the Machine Membership Shows. It's much appreciated. We're coming back, folks. Just want to point out that we've got some great deals from some of the major sponsors, plus a created list of the best plugins in the WordPress space for any of the key functions or jobs that you're looking for for yourself or for your clients. You can get all these goodies by going over to WPTonic slash deals, WPTonic slash deals, and consume all the goodies there. Uh, um, like the little child that we all are, are we not? Uh, um, so um, let's go straight into it. So I know, you know, it's amazing where time goes, isn't it? it you know, it's it's a bit frightening, really. But um, can you go back to the early days? You know, because I don't, I don't know what your connection to WordPress was when you were looking at the opportunity to start WP Engine, but why WordPress? Why manage hosting? And why? What was the um, thoughts around the opportunities that you saw in that space? Yeah. So, um, so at Smart Bear, um, I started a blog because in the two thousands, like mid two thousands, blogging was cool. And my thought was, we'll all write on the blog. The whole company will. And it'll become the voice of the company, sort of like how 37 Signals did. So I set up the blog. I set up on WordPress. I don't even remember why. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe it's clear because WordPress was even then like a uh, one of the main ways to do a blog. But anyway, it was probably not that thoughtful. And um, no one ever wrote on it but me. So it be, kind of became my blog. Then I sold Smart Bear in 2007 and I left in 2009. Um after a total of seven years there. So this wasn't like start up and get out of there. You know, it was a pretty good run. Um, also my wife was pregnant. And so there's this like, okay, I sold the company. I've been around for another 18 months beyond where I had to, uh, you know, according to the terms of the sale. Um, and now I'm going to be a father and, you know, this would be a good time to just turn the page, have a new chapter of life and all that. And so that was the reason why I left. And, in that first year of being a stay-at-home dad, which I loved, 
but it's very hard. I mean, anyone with kids knows that that's way harder than making a company. Um, and writing was a great way to stay sort of in contact with the rest of the world, have something intellectual to do, but also no deadlines, no expectations, doesn't have to make money. Um, so in other words, a project that was intellectual, but, but actually fits the requirements of those early days, which is, I don't know when I'm going to be able to even think straight. And so, yeah, so blogging was a good way to, to um, have that kind of a hobby. Um, but then it took off as well. I would get on Hacker News every Monday and get a lot of traffic and so forth. It started to become popular. And, uh, um, but often when I get on Hacker News, the site would crash. And when you get on the front page of Hacker News then, so call it 2009, um, you'd get about 15 hits per second for 15 minutes at peak. There was obviously a, you know, a lot of traffic outside of the peak as well, but like that's what would happen when you hit the front page. Um, and that was enough to take down the little server that I was running WordPress on. And so I would talk to other WordPress bloggers and say, Hey, um, what do you use to keep WordPress up? You know, when you get a lot of traffic and the answer was, I don't know, but I need that too. So if you find it, let me know what you find, you know? So it was one of those. Now, <laughs> me, this is this is like a classic story, uh, story of like, oh, I had the problem myself, so I made a company. The difference is I had lots of problems I've had myself and made little things and it didn't turn into a company because just finding a pain point or just having an idea, even a good pain point, a good idea, does not make a company. All these other things have to be in place. I think of it like a Drake equation. All kinds of other things have to all be in place for it to be a company. So... Other people have to have the problem. Enough other people have to have the problem. They have to agree that they have the problem. They have to maybe already be searching for solutions to the problem. They have to afford to pay to solve the problem. So, for example, in WordPress, there's a lot of people with sites where, sure, if they got a lot of traffic, the site would go down, but they don't get a lot of traffic and they don't really care. And anyway, they're not going to spend money on it. So they'd rather spend $2 a month at GoDaddy and rather than $30 a month at WP Engine. And they're not wrong because the, their pain isn't great enough. The need isn't great enough. So it may be a quote unquote great idea, but not for them. You know? um, and you have to be able to, of course, make the product and keep people around. And there's a lot of things that have to happen for the company to be a whole company. So what I did is I interviewed 50 people and that took four months because anyone does who who has gone and tried to interview people who aren't customers yet know how long it takes to schedule things and try to do it. And um but in those interviews I did figure out that indeed this was a pain that a lot of people had and already identified with. And there were four things in particular that if we did them, then at least one would resonate with a lot of people. And the four things which are not uh, not uh, mysterious <laughs> or surprising are speed, so make the site fast scale so stay continue to be fast and stay up when you get traffic security okay, goes without saying um and uh service for wordpress because you could go pay rack space at the time lots of uh, uh, it, it's it was expensive and they had great service they answered the phone on the first ring on sunday at 2 a.m but the service is the servers have power and they're on the internet so if that's the case the service is over because that's what they sell. Like, um, so they have fantastic service, just not for the application WordPress. They have fantastic service for the hardware. So if we had that rack space level of service, but for the application for WordPress, that's something people would pay for. So it was easy to, so, um, 
again, a lot of people have sites they don't care that much about. Okay, that's fine. But if you care about it even a little bit, then at least one of those will resonate with you. I discovered. So, for example, your site got hacked recently, so you're mad. And you're like, I, that, sh- that has to never happen again. I'll pay more just for that to not happen or have it be someone else's responsibility. Or maybe um, their site went down like me because of a lot of traffic. They're like, no, that's that's where we would have gotten most of our traffic. You know, No, I, I'll pay more for that to never happen again. Or maybe their SEO person tells them, hey, slow sites get less traffic in the first place. They score, they rank lower on Google. People don't, don't don't continue as much. They bounce more often. You need to make your site faster to do better at SEO. And they're like, okay, I got to get a faster site. You know, so maybe that's an impetus. So there's these different ways that you could come to one of these conclusions. But essentially, those four things um, together, it, it would resonate. At least one of those things would resonate with most people. And so that was the original thing. And in fact, if you look at all our competitors today, you'll see exactly that on everyone's homepage. Like the, I think those that observation of those four things are still true today, which indicates something of deep truth. And deep, deep, you know, something uh, uh, important and real, um, and that's what people claim. And of course, they do. I'm not. I'm not saying that in a bad way, by the way. I'm just saying that's a, It just shows that it's a deep truth that that's what people want. <laughs> you know. Um, and then now they want other things too. But like that, that's the core of what uh, is now managed WordPress hosting. I think, like even just the term of it. Um, but that was the original sort of process that I came to it. I needed it, and um, and found through customer interviews that. Uh, this this thing that's defined by those four things, a service is defined by that, that would be interesting. Even then, though, I also identified that the, the um, an important person is the developer of the website. So the marketer or the site owner writes you the check every month, but the developer has a lot to do with things as well. And so if the developer is happy with it, um, then maybe everybody's happy. And so even in that very first um, early time, we had a staging area, which was new, like that that was not a thing that you could get anywhere. And it wasn't even very good. <laughs> like now we have great stuff. And in fact, even just a few years after that, we had we had much better stuff. But at first it was pretty, pretty bad. But even a bad staging area, it's better than no staging area. Um, and so, uh, and of course, that was more for the developers um, as opposed to the site owner. And so early on, we also saw, um, oh, yeah. We got to make tools and workflows and things for developers, even if they weren't very good 13 years ago. That's important. And that's another theme that's still true today, I think, in general and uh, and with WP Engine in particular. That's fantastic. Over to you, Kurt. Great, great. Jason, I love that you mentioned uh, that Drake equation because uh, I, honestly, I think I'm a, a walking case study on missing something, right? Either missing the customer willingness to write the check, the, you know, timing, being ahead of market, things like that. Um, in your case, when you think about WP Engine in the early days, like, what do you think personally, as you think back, what were some of the challenges that you guys faced? And like, how did your team overcome those? Well, uh, well, one challenge is one that I think every startup has, which is no one knows who we are. How do you get attention? <laughs> And then after you get attention, maybe, you know, how do you kind of earn, you could say trust, that's a big word, but I guess start establishing a relationship or start establishing a brand, start establishing trust, let's say, if not actually establish it. Those are all challenges um, and not unique to us, of course. Um, So 
one of the things in retrospect um, that really worked, because we tried lots of stuff, right? Um, it's not like I I, uh, I could see the future and know what would work. But in retrospect, what worked really well was WordCamps. The fact that you could go there and just have a face-to-face with someone and now they connect it with a human being, that was a big deal. That That's something I think no advertisement can do. And no like really great homepage design can do. And WordPress, I think, is a very communal, you know, ecosystem, and we like to know each other, and we like to support each other. Like I remember when I when I, when I was starting out, there was a lot of support from people going, "Oh, welcome! That's great that you're doing stuff here. We welcome all the stuff." And as other even competitors of ours came in, it was it was reciprocated. Everyone was like, "Okay, more that more is is good because uh, it's a big world. There's a lot of space for everyone." Um, Everyone's welcome, which is interesting. I mean, a lot of markets are just the opposite, where you know competition is bitter and people hate each other and whatever. WordPress tends to be very, I mean, like if you if you look at the lifter guys and and how do they interact with other LMSs in WordPress, and the answer is super friendly. <laughs> you know, they're they're mean to anybody. You know, um, and that's you know, I'm not saying 100 of of every human is like that in WordPress because that's not true of any group of humans. But just in general, it's surprisingly um, inviting and and where everything. So by going to the WordCamps and establishing the human interface, you might say, um, and also people just seeing like, are you an asshole or are you nice? Do you seem like you know what you're doing or not? Do you seem like you're just doing this to have a company and extract money from this ecosystem? Or are, are, you, are you here to be part of this community, really? What's going on here? And it, when they just see you there and just simply interact with you, then they form an opinion about those questions. <laughs> and so if that's positive, <laughs> then um, then uh, then that goes a long way. And, and maybe they have find an excuse to put a client on you soon. And then if that's good, maybe they'll put another one and so on. And you start building up that... Um, that business relationship on, on the basis of something genuine. Um, now, it's, of course, it's not impossible to build trust online and over Zoom and and even through things like uh, tech support. Um, so it's not in, in in lieu of that, but it was a really powerful mechanism. And so in that in the post COVID world, one of the sad things is that we don't have that, or not nearly as much, let's say. And um, that's that's too bad. I think that's it's powerful, and I think in particular in WordPress, it's powerful. Um, and uh, so that's one. I, I think another thing is you can you can create that through support. And what I'm about to say is not something you probably haven't seen before, but it's so true, which is it's almost better if someone has a problem and you fix it um, than if they have no problems. It's not quite, uh, you, you know, you could argue whether that's really the case. And you certainly don't want to put trip wires in a product to make it worse on purpose to make them call support. That would be bad. But the fact is that if you have an opportunity to interact with someone and make it something better, um, or fix something or help or whatever. And you do so really well and they realize that. Oh my gosh. Like it just transforms like, Oh, this is a company I can work with. And now I'm not afraid if there's a problem because I know it will happen. They'll be all over it. And you know, yeah. few people expect zero problems ever. And if they do, that really is unreasonable. <laughs> you, know? um, you may expect it to be rare. That's reasonable. <laughs> Never, you know, over a long enough time scale, that's simply unreasonable. So the question is, well, what is this company going to do? Do they care? Are they act fast? Will they be honest and open and transparent about what's going on? Will they talk to me about it, et cetera? Like that's the question: is what happened? What's going? To, what is it going to be like? Or if I'm an agency, is the hosting company going to throw me under the bus when something is wrong? 
Or are they going to call me, the host, the, the agency, and say, hey, man, we see this, we see that. What do you see? What do we, like, let's work together to decide how to handle this and how we want to go together with the client and say, uh, and, and because we don't, it doesn't behoove any of us to point fingers regardless of where the problem may or may not be. And in fact, maybe we're still figuring it out. Could be, <laughs> you know, let's, uh, but let's, let's just solve it together for your client. Cause I think that's what we both want and, and go. And so again, when, when, when that happens, they're like, wow, that's a, what a, I mean, they may not say this out loud, but they might. That's what a partner looks like, <laughs> you know, as opposed to just a vendor who's whatever. And, so it's, and again, I'm not saying we're the only ones who do that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that is something that, in fact, anyone could do if they choose, <laughs> right? To to have a great relationship with their stakeholders, et cetera. Um, that develops that that trust. So besides WordCamps, you know, these are ways to establish trust and that kind of long term uh, relationship. So anyway, we did those things. Not that in, not that others cannot, <laughs> but but we did. And so I think that kind of a um, sort of genuine care about the 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 the, the marketing uh, the the site owners and also the the uh, the 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 developers the freelancers the agencies um, and going to WordCamps these are ways that we really built that and you might say then you maybe earn some advocacy from your customers maybe if people on your side who want to bring things to you or want to tell other people to do it um, simply because they genuinely do want to say that <laughs> you know because because you've generated that feeling you know that's the right reason to 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 generate that. That, uh, yeah. that that kind of help, and so um, that was it. I would say one other thing. I mean, I can pause there if you want to talk about more stuff. But I, I would say pricing, early pricing, was another thing. So I think that that's one of the things we could chat about. Well, pricing, pricing. Yeah. So sorry. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say. So far, my big takeaways were proactive relationships, and it sounds like patience. Like you really just kind of had to. Like as a business owner, you want to force things into into a perfect you know revenue model, but maybe you had to be patient and wait for things to grow. Um, well, you don't have a choice but to see what happens, whether you're patient or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any of the WordPress um, platforms got to a thousand customers in under two years. I don't think anybody did ever. It just takes time to build up some stuff. Every once in a while, you read about something in TechCrunch about how they blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get it. Now, for the other thousand, for every one of those, the other 10,000 companies that where that's not the case, comma, you know, like it's just not an example. It's interesting, I guess, exactly because it's an outlier, but it's not, not something you can replicate. Um, so in that sense, yeah, steady, steady, deliberate growth is, of course, more sustainable as well. Um, but yeah, just genuinely caring about the customer and what they care about. Um, and I guess making that plain in interactions, that's the kind of thing that builds trust in a professional environment. Um, and that's something you can choose to do. You can also choose not to. You can say, uh, I don't want tech support. Like that's expensive and I don't want to hire for that. I don't want people to expect me to be on the phone in the morning. Um, so I'm not going to have it. And that's a perfectly valid stance, especially for a less expensive product. Perfectly valid. I'm just saying the our way is a way. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jonathan, back to you. Oh, thanks. So, um, just a quick follow through, follow through question. Um, what was the discussion internally when you decided to buy Studio Press, and how? What kind of um, decision making do you and your team make when you're going to buy 
external plugin, a service, and try and merge it with with the core product of WP Engine. So maybe you could discuss StudioPress specifically, what led you to want to buy it, and maybe the, the broader question. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, um, and it's useful for anyone to know. Like, why does a company buy something? <laughs> you know, what I would say is, um, companies have a strategy they want to execute, and then buying another company is one of the choices for how to execute it. And so, when you're thinking about, oh, I might want to sell my business to so and so or whatever, what you have to ask is. What is their strategy that they're trying to execute? And do you help that? So what does help mean specifically? It means the following. Do you either de-risk it, make it less risky, or accelerate it? They could, they would, it would take them a lot longer to get to a, a place versus if they bought you, they could get to the place faster. And just buying you doesn't get them to the place. Cause to your point, like it depends on what they're trying to do with it. If like with Studio Press, we did not merge it with our core platform to this very day. People buy Genesis and put it wherever they want. So we, does it work really well at WP Engine? Of course, <laughs> you know, but is it, does it only work there? Cause it's merged in? No, because one of the important things about it is that it's open and that people can use it. In the way that they've been using it for more than a decade, um, but um, so, so the question is: Does it de-risk the strategy, make it le- more likely that whatever the strategy is will come to be, come to pass, um, or does it accelerate? So, like, it, let, let's say it, let's say you did want to fold it into your main product. Let's suppose that. Okay, well, you buy the company, but then you have to fold it into your main product, and that can take a long time. It can easily take over a year. Um, Especially because you can make some kind of basic thing, but it's not very good, right? And and to 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 um, to really fold it in and make it a great experience probably takes a lot longer. Um, there may be existing customers that you have to migrate or somehow bring along, and that takes a lot of work. So it could be a year or two, and and certainly millions, if not low tens of millions of dollars, to get to the that point, quote unquote. And so the question is: is is that the buying the company and continuing to invest in it? Does that get you to some point in time of amount of revenue, amount of customers, et cetera, et cetera, faster than alternatives? Alternatives are things like partnering with another company. So it's still a third party, but you have a formal agreement. And the the third usual alternative is you build it yourself, which has a lot of risk and still takes a lot of time. You get, I guess you get exactly what you want because you built it, but it takes a lot of time, a lot of risk. It still probably takes a year or two. It it still takes millions of dollars, right? So, um, and and then you still got to get customers, although you have your own customers to sell into. So that might not be as hard as it sounds. Um, So these are the the, the typical build by partner are the usual sort of three ways to execute a thing. And so a company going back to the top has some strategy. We're trying to achieve X. We're trying to do Y. We're trying to enter a new market Z. We're trying to uh, beat a competitor in a specific way. Um, Like whatever those things are that's currently in their strategy, like this is how we're going to win by doing these main lines. The question is always, how, what do we build? What do we buy? How do we partner? And then what specifically happens in there? So if buying a company and the follow-on work, <clears throat> which might be forever, but it certainly will be special in the, in the initial months, um, is that a, a faster or less risky way to execute the strategy we already have? If yes, then that's, uh, then that's interesting. Um, a lot of times I think people 
think a different way. They think stuff like, well, I know that big company X isn't doing this right now, but if they bought us, they could. That's not how a big company thinks. What a big company, if the big company wants to do X, if they're like, gosh, we got to enter market X, we're not there, we got to enter it, then you're exactly right. You might be the best way for them to enter that market. Just hit the ground running with existing customers and brand and existing product. That's the best way for them to enter that market. If they want to already, you might be right. If they don't want to, it's just a non starter. <laughs> you know, like that's not what happens. They're, what you don't do is say, hey, I found this company for sale. It's not a market we want to enter. But we could buy them anyway and maybe enter it anyway, even though we didn't want to. That's not how it works. <laughs> you know. Um, so uh so that's the general answer. And then to Studio Press, you know, part of our strategy and actually part of our values is giving back. So being open source. Uh, being active in the open source community is part of how we think one needs to act to win in WordPress, um, both because it's the right thing to do to contribute to the um, to the community, and uh, it, it, in terms of building trust and all this other stuff, it um, it helps. We have agencies who tell us that they use us because some of our competitors don't contribute back to the community, and that matters to them. It doesn't matter to everyone. That's not a hard and fast rule, but there are people for whom that matters. Okay, well, we will win. We and other people who can, I should say we and other people who contribute, because obviously there are many. Um, we will win, uh, or we're, we're in the competitive set for those folks who care about that and other competitors who choose not to. They're not in that. Um, they won't be competing for that deal. So great. That's an example where giving back to the community is good anyway. And it's good for sales and growth and stuff like that. So perfect. You know, so th th that's a good example of a good strategy, something that's kind of good in the whole world and, you know, is, is, uh, is, is good. You, you could say selfishly, I guess. Um, so th that was the case. And in, in particular in studio press, you know, we, we saw lots and lots of our customers use Genesis and yet it was being disinvested, right? There was less and less investment in it over time. We felt like this was an opportunity to have um, some software in higher up in the WordPress stack. In other words, infrastructure is, you might say, lower than WordPress in the stack. Then there's WordPress and then higher is things like themes and plugins. Here would be a way to, for us to have some um, uh, something to play with there in that area of the stack, which are, a lot of our customers already like, and which um, it's the, the project is waning, but only because of disinvestment, not because of disinterest. And so if we just invested in a kind of, a, you might say, a normal amount in, in, the, pro in the product and team, and community, then um, we could reverse that, which of course we did. Um, and we did invest in that and we made things like the Genesis Council, which is people from around the world who come together once a month and discuss things like, how should we build this? What should the Genesis strategy or product roadmap be about X, Y, or Z thing? Um, of course, blocks are usually on the discussion list, of course, but, but you know, this kind of stuff. Um, that's just an example of what I mean by involving the community more in like, what is this and where should it go? That's just a, a an example. Um, so we knew like we could do these kinds of things, have people working on it at all, and then doing things like that. That'll just be, we'll, we'll, we'll follow our nose, but that will already make it better. <laughs> and, no, I am. Um... I was very impressed with you buying it because for cultural reasons, I, I personally thought the way that the two Brian's, Brian Clark that and Brian Garner, both really fantastic individuals, mm -hmm. really smart people. Um, the culture of Studio Press really fitted in with the culture of WP Engine, like, yeah. you know, really well. And some of your other purchases, you know, 
the kind of culture or the way that WP Engine tries to um, represent itself in the market. You know, I followed the logic myself. I'm not the sharpest tool in the toolbox, but I follow the logic. And I've got to be truthful, I'm not going to name any names. Some of the other companies' purchases, I haven't really followed the logic that that well. It just seems to be... But somebody does say to me, they're just buying it to because it buys audience. And they did the math, how much they're going to have to spend on Facebook or Google Advert adverts and it was just cheaper to buy that plug-in for the eyeballs um which i follow i follow the logic but i yeah. always always felt that wp engine had a kind of deeper there was a bit more fault in the purchases <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you, you might say that there's perhaps an equal amount of thought but just maybe different motivations or different really just different strategies different goals um different cultures different ways of doing business, which hmm. uh, on the one hand, whichever ones you personally um, align with, you'll say that's good. And the other ones you'll say that's not good. On the other hand, I would say there are people who certainly feel just the opposite um, and want to be the company that's like a killer and wants to go do stuff and will stop at nothing to do whatever. And like, that's really fun. And so in, in the end, I mean, obviously there's an ethical line that's outside of what I'm about to say, but as long as the company's not wholly unethical, I would say it's good that there's different kinds of cultures. That way, employees, people can, can oh, this is for me. And and uh, that's good. That Everyone should find a home in a place that they feel is like them or, or, or you know, is compatible with what they, how they are. That's good. Um, I think, yeah, there, there could be ethical lines where, the, the, okay, I'm, I'm glad you like that, but that's not okay, right? <laughs> and of course, you still argue about what those are, but I, I feel like those are a different kind. But if it's like, look, they didn't do anything unethical, they bought a company and then they used their Facebook ads. Like, it's not unethical, I just wish they wouldn't do it. You know, it's like, oh, well, that's just, to me, that's that's now an opinion. It's it's good, good opinion, but uh, I'm glad that there's a lot of different stuff. And, and also, like, what about the founder of that company who got paid and... The fact that that person sold presumably means they wanted to, and um, and if it weren't for that, you know, that buyer, maybe they wouldn't have, and maybe they would be unhappy or have a waning product. I mean, who knows? I mean, because I don't know any details of that. I'm just saying it could be great for the founder, and you know, even from the outside of it, it's like, but they did this. It's like, right? But maybe it was going downhill, or maybe the founder was really burned out, or maybe. The founder and two other people. Well, it's all, like, it's, it's all, like you know, it's probably it's as long as it's not unethical. Like I'm, I'm sort of like I'm, I'm fine with it personally. <laughs> well, it's all very tricky, isn't it? You know, business is tricky. You know, the two Bryans, they've been pub. They invested a lot of money and energy in building Rainmaker, and it didn't pan out for them. And I think that you know, and these are two really bright people that knew a lot. Um, and Rainmaker didn't pan out for them, not because they weren't competent. It's just, it's just tricky, you know. Not yes. everything works out no matter how bright you are. It just, you know, it just doesn't work out. Uh, um, right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go for our break. We, it's been a fabulous interview so far. I've really enjoyed it. But so we're going for our break, folks. We'll be back in a few moments. Hey, it's Spence from LaunchFlows.com. If you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on WordPress, then look no further than LaunchFlows. 
In just minutes, you can easily create instant registration, upsells, downsells, order bumps, one-click checkouts, one-time offers, custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with launch flows. Get your copy today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS, the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to LifterLMS.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code PODCAST20. That's PODCAST20. Enjoy the rest of your show. We're coming back. It's been a great discussion with one of the more interesting people in the WordPress space. Uh, um, 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 I just want to point out, we've got a great Facebook group. Um, we'd love you to go over. It's um, it's linked to my other podcast, The Membership Machine Show. Um, go over there to Facebook. And we've got a great community of membership owners and developers. So go over there and be part of the discussion. That would be great. Over to you, Kurt. Hey, um, I think I'm going to switch gears a bit, Jason. I'm going to ask you to be a, a futurist or maybe use some of your your inside you know knowledge. What do you think? What, what do you think is the the opportunities or the changes that we see coming in, in hosting and in WordPress over the next couple of years? Yeah, so. Um, there's some obvious ones in that they're just happening and people talk about it all the time. I think, uh, um, you know, headless is one. We talk about it a lot because we have a product Atlas. I, I'm not going to sit here and just like, you know, plug the product over and over again, but let's just say we wouldn't be investing all of this effort if we didn't think that was part of the future. <laughs> like if it wasn't part of the answer to your question. So, you know, it's fair enough to say like, see, that's almost evidence that we think that that's a big deal. Um, headless right now is uh, headless websites are about, um, 3% of the top million, but that's bigger than Drupal. It's about the same size as Wix. Now that's, that, that's distributed across many hosts. There's not like one host that has them all. I'm just trying to generally size it. So it's easy in WordPress for us to say, but we're 43. So three is nothing. And you'd say, yeah, I understand that, but WordPress is 20 years old and this is not, and it's growing really fast. So if it's at three, if it's, you know, already at sort of normal WordPress rival size and growing really fast, which PS Wix is not, um, they, they grew 9% year over year for two years. I mean, I mean revenue too. So, um, so, you know, like it'll quickly be Shopify size and then it'll be this, then it'll be the second biggest type of CMS outside of WordPress and that the rate it's growing, that's going to happen. So, um, so if you want to be futuristic, you got to look at that and say, oh, <laughs> now, does that mean it kills WordPress or everyone's got to do this? Everyone's got to do that. Of course, it does not mean that. It does mean it's this big opportunity and this big thing that's happening. We've chosen to uh, take a bet on that. So um, we, we can talk more about it. I'm, just, I'm not trying to talk your ear off on it, but I think it's a big, uh, it's, a, it's a fact uh, or a mathematical fact. And so it's, a, it's a interesting. I also think that WordPress... Um, pr- 
properly configured, and this is of course part of what Atlas is all about. But we're but but, if, but I mean, all the stuff we build at Atlas, other than infrastructure, is open source. So even if you want to believe me that our tools are great for headless WordPress, but you don't want to be a WP engine, they're open source. I mean, you know, again, we're back to our strategy of giving back. You know, here we are um, living living that out in the JavaScript side and in the WordPress side. By the way, both sides are open source, and that's called Faust JS. So. Um, Anyway, so, so we feel like with, with, with helping with helper code, with, with libraries and frameworks on the JavaScript and WordPress side, that WordPress can be the best headless CMS. Because it's certainly best at long form. The Gutenberg stuff is amazing. No other headless CMS has that. And so bringing that to the front end, which we've done with Faust, so that you can just use Gutenberg and pretty soon the for, for content editing and pretty soon full site editing, but still have that natively and react on the front end bringing that that specialness of WordPress to headless, like these are the kinds of things that are really powerful or using ACF for custom fields so that you have the custom field stuff in ACF and you have the long form stuff and things like um, like Gutenberg or the, the layout stuff and things like, like full site editing. That combination, like that doesn't exist anywhere else. And so if we make that good, you know, th- then this should be the best solution. And so this helps WordPress live and grow more because here's this tr- is architectural trend, you know, right? Of like web architectural trend, which is I don't think in the control of anyone in WordPress or maybe even outside of it. This is what people seem to want, you know. Um, I think WordPress is is fantastic there, and we're trying to make that, um, you know, we're investing in that idea. So I think that's a big trend. Um, whether you consider that a plug or not, it's, 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 it's what we think. Um, and uh, so what else? So another thing that's really common is talking about um, serverless. And once you're serverless, you got to talk about edge functions because it's a kind of serverless, but even worse in a way, because uh, serverless, but still in a data center means you're close to the database, close to MySQL. But serverless and at the edge means you're not even close to MySQL. And so what are you going to do about that? Um, WordPress is simply not architected for that. You know, a typical WordPress homepage hits MySQL, what, 100 times more? So being at the edge and MySQL is somewhere else. And P.S., the edge is scaling, but MySQL is not. That just doesn't, that doesn't work. So does that mean that's impossible? You know, never say impossible, especially when it comes to tech and how fast it changes. But WordPress isn't architected for that. So more needs to happen for that to uh, make sense for a lot of sites. What does what is architected for that is headless, and so again, I don't want to beat that too much. But like having headless stuff at the edge and caching things in certain way or doing ISR and so forth, that is a way of doing stuff at the edge and so on. And, and again, in Atlas, we do that automatically. Blah blah blah. So headless is a way to, to kind of tap into that serverless and edge way. But again, now you've 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 um, you've had to change your architecture. But that's kind of the point. WordPress's architecture isn't made for that. So. Just sort of you know, that sort of makes sense, but is headless the only way to do that? No, there's other kinds of things that might need to be in place. So is the database being replicated? Are there certain kinds of things you need to do? But what happens if you have e-commerce and there's a lot of rights to the database? So there's it, it, those are complicated questions, but the kinds of questions you would you would tackle if if you wanted to go after that uh, that trend, which is a very real one. Um, you know, you can't you can't not mention AI because AI. Um, I think in terms of the infrastructure, that's not rel- not really relevant. Um, I think in terms of the people making content, it's very, very relevant. <laughs> now, is that something that a, like a hosting vendor should worry about? <laughs> you know, I guess it depends on what what areas of the stack the the, the platform thinks that it should uh, it should participate in. 
So there's obviously lots of stuff. Just at the most basic level, and even today, uh, ideation, you know, give me 10 ideas for this, Um, repurposing content. Hey, uh, uh, read in this article I wrote and give me some tweets, give me some this, give me some follow on article ideas. You know, that's the kind of thing where the AI is assisting ideation, where a human being is still doing. You know, the, the final edits and everything, um, or drafting 10 articles about something. Again, a human being can edit it, especially because it'll be wrong about stuff and whatever. But of course, it's so much faster to edit a thing than to write it from scratch. So um, even those things, even today, these are ways to um, support a human editor to create stuff maybe easier, maybe more content than before, um, um, even now, even, even, even not trying to cast into the future where like... You know, oh, I, I just read this morning. Like, uh, Reed, Reed Hoffman wrote a whole book using GPT four by just giving it a prompt, and then it wrote a book, and the book's pretty good. Said someone who probably did not read all two hundred and thirty pages of the book. You know, <laughs> and also, does if if that book is this is is as good as most business books? Is that a good commentary on G, on GPT four, or is that a bad commentary on most business books? Being you know, like probably could have been a blog post kind of thing. You know, so um. It, Clearly, who knows what's coming, but uh, but even today, there's there's a you might say support uh, human support systems that you you could you could imagine. Um, nice. So uh, I also feel like <clears throat> when we started WP Engine, I felt very much like there's dev tools, um, and and then there's like the hosting, the infrastructure out there. And they were just, they weren't in any way integrated or anything. So if you wanted to use Git, you, you figure out how to use Git, maybe use GitHub, and then you figure out how to get the code, the code to wherever your site's hosted, and you figure out what deployment means, you figure out post-deployment hooks and so on. Today, I feel like that's not the case, and people want all that to be completely fluid. Um, I make my site in local. And then I want to just click a button and have it go to a staging area if the client can see, or click a button and have it go to the Ngrocky type thing for the client to see, or click another button and have it go to, uh, you know, actually be published, or um, or maybe more sophisticated. I want um, a CI/CD system so that my developers, you know, it automatically pulls from GitHub with PRs and stuff and tests things, and I can look at it and then it goes to production when I click the button in GitHub. You know, that kind of workflow. Um, and these are still pretty basic ideas, but testing, are there unit tests I can run locally, but is that also runnable on the server? Because after all, like the PHP modules could be different. Like there's, there are things that could be different in the server environment. So if the testing were um, well understood, then you could run it in, in, in these different environments, even automatically. Um, so there's just sort of, I guess you could say an infinite cone of stuff that you could list of, I, I, uh, it's not that they're the same thing. I mean, one's one's uh, on, a, on in the cloud and and might have to scale. So, like your development tools don't have to scale with traffic, but the server does. <laughs> you know, um, so they're not the same. But um, can there be a big interlink in terms of workflow and moving data around and and how how you work? Whether you're an individual and you want that to be real fast and easy, like I push a button in local, or you're on a team and so you want more process and things, that, you know, so it's one person can't just push a button. Like the, on a team, that could be a bad thing, <laughs> right? When you're solo, that's a feature. So let's just say right tools, right workflow for the for the team, let's say. Um, 
to have that be more integrated with the, the quote unquote hosting or infrastructure, I think that is powerful. And I think that's important. You've seen whether things that we've purchased or things that we've built and things that we've made, you can see that we are doing that. Um, and, uh, um, again, we're not necessarily the only of our competitors who think that way. So again, not trying to say we're, um, no one else is as smart as us, but that, that you can see us doing that anyway. And so I think that's the thing that will continue to be true. Like, in other words, I think it'll continue to be true that more of that is smart and good for the people making the sites and, 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 uh, more than just, uh, you know, a, a VM in the cloud or something. Yeah, as you were talking, you kind of spurred a follow-up question in my mind, and and I apologize because I'm not knowledgeable really on server space and stuff like that. So this question might seem really stupid to some people listening, but you mentioned AI and people generating more content, and and I'm starting to think. I know a lot of my client sites. In retrospect, I mean they're just small files, right? But they're they have server space, right? If people start using AI you know, infectiously and they just start pumping out content <laughs> and, and that happens, you know, at volume, at scale. Yeah. yeah. What kind of stress does that put on a host, you know, like WP Engine? Like if everyone yeah. just quadruples the size of their package, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's an yeah. issue, right? Well, um, there's some good news there, which is that kind of content is is in a language and languages compress really, really well. So it's it, it may not be as much space as it sounds. And then things like disk space is cheap and easy. So it's probably not the worst. Like getting lots of browser traffic simultaneously is a hundred times more difficult to scale. Because you have stuff coming in, it's real time, and there's processors that have to wake up somehow and and do that. Whereas just more disk is, you know, you can pay on the cloud and they get more disk. Now I'm, I'm being a little facetious there. It's not quite so simple because what is, <laughs> uh, for example, if you have, let's say, let's say we have a client with a uh, hundred thousand or a million pieces of content, which we definitely do and more. Um, what, one of the strange things that happens there, that's not obvious, but if you ask someone like uh, Yoast, he'll tell you, um, immediately like oh yeah that's that oh my god like he'll you know like people who who study this know this for sure but uh, otherwise it's not obvious if you have a ton of content the majority of your traffic is typically bots not humans even with your big spikes and your big whatever it's bots and the reason is that you have all these urls and the bots look at them and so if they're, they're trolling around and there's a lot of them, there's Googlebot, Bingbot, Yandex, Baidu, and many more because there's all these products online. I mean, even like the Moz stuff, like there's there's products everywhere that's looking around. And so, so uh, it's, and that's not even malicious. There's also malicious traffic <laughs> and there's a big surface <laughs> area for them to attack. So they do like if they want to run a script on every, on everything they, on your site, that that's a lot of running, but even through, even ignoring the malicious stuff, there's a lot of bots, uh, spiders, you could say. And so if you have a lot of content, you have a lot of traffic <laughs> and that traffic it, it may even compete with server, normal server resources besides disk with regular people. And another thing about that traffic, which again is obvious in retrospect, is that none of it's cached. Like if I have a popular article, it'll be cached wherever, on the edge and in near WordPress, whatever. It'll be cached in places. So it'll be pretty good. Um, but the but the article from four years ago that no one's no human has looked at in however long, that's not cached anywhere. You know? So when the spider hits it, no caching. Everything comes off of disk and through WordPress, you know, whatever, whatever things have to sort of warm up and get it, they all have to do it. 
So this majority of traffic is also uncached and therefore, in a sense, you might say very expensive. You could say that in terms of money or in terms of CPU time or whatever unit, but like it's expensive in the sense that's you know difficult or whatever. So in that sense, making a lot of content actually can be difficult and something to scale. So just having it and storing on disk, not so bad. The spider issue, um, it, it, again, it's not the end of the world, but it's um, not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Jonathan? Yeah, just a response to some of the things. I got the impression for understandable reasons that some of the changes and um, I was going to use the rise, the word improvements, but I think just fundamental changes in the way WordPress is used. Your response was very um, developer-focused and um, application-focused. What I've, I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and um, my observation is this. I just want to put this to you and get your response. Let's take, uh, because, our, because WP Engine's in the membership education um part of hosting and support we have like we have a SaaS competitors we have many SaaS competitors one of them is Kajabi Kajabi is very good in their marketing the founders are extremely good marketers and they're very good at propagating the notion that Kajabi is really easy to set up and run and to some elements to some um, element is easier to set up than maybe WordPress, not as quite as easy as they make out, probably in my opinion, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, other people in the WordPress space, and I'm just going to point one out, who um, Fry Themes, Shane. Shane, I've interviewed Shane over the years a couple of times, and he's a really, really smart individual, a really great, um, CEO and a really smart individual. Um, very impressed with Shane. Their, their attempt to deal with what I call the flea market of WordPress was to build what I call a WordPress enclosed garden. Um, the problem with that, in my mind, is you you get the worst of WordPress and you get the worst of SaaS combined. It, to my mind, it's the worst solution possible, but understandable because um, people in the WordPress um, market, that's how they've tried to deal with the flea market so to get to the question, I've laid out some um, landscape there. Is there a way of keeping the flexibility and ownership of WordPress, but also reduce the flea marketness of WordPress? I think this is a good question for lots of folks in WordPress who who want, who have some kind of vertical focus like that. You could easily make the same case in e-commerce, for example. The Shopify versus WooCommerce thing, same exactly. arguments, right? Yeah. So some general thoughts on that are this. Um, when So when you have a generic platform, the good news is everyone's your customer, so you potentially have a big market. Bad news is if someone focuses on a vertical and, and, and just makes those use cases better, it's going to be a better experience. 
Like if you only care about people who do a very specific thing, of course you're going to build an experience that's better because you'll only build for one person. <laughs> It'll be the best experience for them. Um, so that's, that's to me, that's kind of like this fundamental thing. So then, um, <clears throat> so then what about, uh, so then what do you do with that? So I think, I think this, so as you say, of course, the first five minutes of a SaaS is going to be easier to set up because it's just going to be there. And whatever it does will be easy. Like whatever features are built in, those features will be easy to use, I guess. Like unless they're bad at making the UX, but let's suppose they're not bad at it, you know? So yeah, um, it's what happens six months later when you're like, but I need to do X and it won't let me and I'm screwed. And on WordPress, if I want to do X, I can choose whether to invest in that or not. I may, it may be easy because there's a plugin. It may be hard because I have to hire someone to make that thing, but I can do it. The only question is, what will it cost? But it's not a question of whether I can. The answer is always, yes, you can. Now let's see how hard or easy it is. Whereas with the SaaS, the answer is you cannot. What you can do is, I don't know, send your request into their support black hole. And I don't know, like, good luck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and so, that's the difference. Um, so, so first of all, I would say, so if you have a, exactly as you said, Jonathan, um, one of the advantages of it being WordPress is that you can customize it. So if you were to throw away that advantage, and this is what you just said, if you were to throw that away, you've thrown away one of the few advantages there is to using a, gen, a general platform versus a specific closed SaaS product. You've thrown away your advantage. So that doesn't sound like a good idea. Um, you should use it. You should say, in fact, I would say the positioning should be on day one, we both, both we, the WordPress thing and the SaaS tool do the same thing on day one. The difference is on day 100, when you realize you actually need this other thing, WordPress can always do it. And the only question is how. And for the SaaS tool, it's, I just hope you know, you're just rolling the dice and I hope it comes up a number that they do it. I just hope, I don't know. <laughs> and that doesn't feel like a good long-term answer. That doesn't feel like me, the customer is in control and that I'll be able to do it. So, um, so to, to me, that's the pitch is that WordPress isn't a dead end. And if it's not a dead end, there may be more to manage, but it's because you can get what you actually want. And so, to throw that away feels like, yeah, I mean, if you throw it away, then as you said, like, well, the SaaS is probably pretty decent for whatever they've chosen to do. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's a great answer to that. <laughs> Fair enough, you know. Now, another thing you could do is say, okay, I could probably make that first five minutes, that first hour, the first 90 days even better, even in WordPress, because it could be pre-set up. Like if the whole point is they have things set up already, well, shoot, I can have things set up already in WordPress. That's that I can do. Um, so, or I could have certain things hidden because they're not relevant to that. Or I could have an easy mode and you could switch into an advanced mode, but I could start with an easy mode so it looks easy so that people get started easy. I could have that experience be better. That I could do. Um, so you could, so, so one answer is you could probably match them in terms of the startup mode. And then the long-term argument is you, you're not stuck. Stuck about what? I don't know. And neither do you. That's the point. You don't even know what you're going to get stuck on. You can't even plan for what that will be. 
You don't even know what to ask the other SaaS, whether it's on their roadmap. You don't even know what to ask for yet. Um, that's the whole point. So with WordPress, you don't have to know. <laughs> and that's beautiful that like when the future is less certain, having control and flexibility is the antidote. It's like, well, I'll, I'll need to react to whatever happens. And this is a platform where I can do that. And that's a platform where I can't. And people experience that with Wix and Squarespace and Webflow all the time. And that's why people come from there to WordPress all the time. Can I get a site going fast at Wix? Of course. And then you want to do X. Too bad. Crap. Maybe I'll have to come to WordPress so I can do the thing. Right. <laughs> you know? So it's same, same thing. Shopify, same thing. Why do people use WooCommerce instead of Shopify when they have a choice? Isn't it faster to set up a shop with Shopify? Of course. But then I want to do this one thing with my inventory. Oh, Shopify doesn't do that. Oh, well, what do I do about that? I don't know. <laughs> I guess you're not doing that with your business. Like, no, with, with, with Woo, I can do anything with my business, whether it's flows in the purchase or things in the back office, I can do anything that my business needs. Shouldn't the website serve my business and customers? Shouldn't the web, the, the back office serve my needs of uh, whatever that is of fulfillment? Yes. <laughs> These are tools that should fulfill your needs. Well, changing your business to match the tool. So that's the kind of sales pitch I would be. I'm just like, so kind of saying a sales pitch out loud of like yeah. flexibility over ease, but you still could say fair enough, but okay, wink. I still should do a better job on that first hour, first five minutes, first night. Like that's fair enough. I could do better there and, and kind of take some of the edge off of the, oh man, it took me three hours to get your crap set up, but I, I was set up in five minutes. I guess that tool's easier. And it's like, well, that's just the first five minutes. Okay, but that's it's still a fair observation on the part of the customer. So, okay, you know. Yeah, it's been a, you know, I think there's a lot of people thinking like this because, you know, let's face it, this is just my opinion, Jason. Um, I'm, the people, you know, the people in automatic, you know, they've got some really fabulous, really bright people in automatic. Their way of dealing with this question was Jetpack. And in my opinion, um, I understand it, but it's been a failure as far as I'm concerned. I understand why they went down that route, because I think it's linked to what we've just discussed. A really bright person like Sean, that with Fry Themes, they decided to build a kind of wall garden to deal with the flea market, the, uh, dealing with that first, onboarding experience it's been ongoing discussion at wp tonic uh so you know what should be the boundaries what can we do to get people over the hump i don't think anybody has found i think there's a lot of people discussing this um but i don't think there's any clear answers really it, would you agree with what i've just said and is it is it been ongoing discussion at wp engine well yeah uh, yes because we have a general wordpress platform and yet we have people who are in different verticals and so it's a good question for us as, uh, also like should we have a platform that specializes in one or another vertical so for example today we do have special we do have a special uh, package for uh, woocommerce and it, it's not just, oh, there's plugins in there. Um, what we do is different. How we cache things is different. We have special things for carts and things. We have special things for checkout. Um, we have um, a really cool search where, uh, you know, it's with product and content and all this kind of stuff. And the reason I call out the search is this. This is interesting, just in general. Um, and again, 
again, one of these things that sounds obvious in retrospect, but uh, uh, but it's still an insight anyway, which is when someone goes to search in an e-commerce site, they are three times more likely to buy. And of course, they're showing intent and maybe they maybe they even have a skew they're looking for, et cetera, right? So like, okay, makes sense. Okay, but having said that, like, how good is your search? Because what we just said is there is no better customer that will ever show up on your site as the one who clicks in that box and begins typing. So what experience should you have there? A shitty, generic, out-of-the-box one or a really great one? Which one do you think will convert better? And is it worth your time and money even to make that experience really good? And the answer is yes, because there are three like three times we're like, like this is the perfect, yes, it's worth it. Like, um. So if I say all that, it maybe it sounds obvious, but that's not what almost anyone does. So it's not that obvious <laughs> until you hear it. It's, that makes it an insight. <laughs> so when I say we have a search in there, that's why that's a big deal um, to do. So, so we see, we see. So that's just a long way of saying we see that e-commerce is a vertical that's worth us specializing in, in addition to having a general platform. And so we are, right? So, um, and that answers your question. Is that something we think about? Yes. And then, of course, what other verticals are there? There are others. And so that's, it's always a good question. Um, I would also say uh, it's very hard for a company of any size, and that includes WP Engine, but it also includes WP Engine 13 years ago, and it includes me at SmartBeer and everything. It's hard to recognize this customer is in our target audience, and this one is not. And we're going to be okay if this one who's not doesn't choose us or chooses us and cancels right away or even goes on Twitter and complains about how we're, we suck because we don't do X and Y. We don't care because that's not our target customer. It's so hard to decide who the target customer is and then to actually act accordingly when all that stuff happens. <laughs> I just said, <laughs> it's so hard because <laughs> you're like, no, I want to keep every customer and I need the revenue. And if I focus on a littler thing, it's a smaller market. And like, it's just, it's so hard. But nevertheless, I think it's one of the answers to what we're talking about. If it's all people who need an LMS, then that's hard to do. But if it's people who need a customized LMS, this is better than SaaS for real. Like not a sales pitch. It just is. And we just have to get the customer to just have to show the truth to the customer in, in the best way possible. But like we're right. You know? <laughs> Whereas if it's just a general customer, we may be wrong. We may be saying this, that, and the other thing. And we may be incorrect. It's actually not better for the customer. Or it's just as well they pick another thing. We're not even, we're not even right. We're like, we want to win the customer. Like we honestly, it's fine if they pick the other thing for some customers, right? Um, and that's true of WP Engine. Like, what about a person who has a small site that gets no traffic and they don't care about it very much? Should they pay us 30 bucks a month or should they go to GoDaddy and pay two bucks a month? Should probably pay two bucks a month. We could say, but it's secure, isn't that? And we're right. And if you care about those things, then, okay, well, then you should, you know, pay for them and get them. But if you genuinely don't care, <laughs> well, we're not right to say like you should pay twice, ten times as much. Like it's not true, <laughs> you know. We'll make the case anyway, I guess. But like it's it's okay. Like it's not for everyone, and nothing's for everyone. <laughs> so I think it's a long way of saying if you can say, here's where we really are the best. True, and those are the customers we're going to go for. That's where our marketing has to be aimed at. That's where our sales has to be aimed at. That's where our products and features have to be aimed at, and. We won't get a lot of the other customers. We'll get some by accident or by whatever, and that's fine. We'll take them. But if they churn out and they're asking for features we don't want or that, that are not aligned with that you know, target, uh, 
we won't do it. And if they churn as a result, we're like, I know, but you're, you weren't our customer. So like, well, we won't just like disallow them from signing up. We'll take it, but we'll get, we'll just be super clear. These are the customers that matter to us. And, you know, definitionally, that's a smaller market. Of course, if you're more specific about who it is, that's fewer people. But if you're really the right thing, then you should be able to get more of it and you should be able to get win more of those sales and so forth. And perhaps you can charge more. A product that in which you can is more customizable should cost more than something that's out of the box and does less, fewer things. Ah, uh, well. Okay. But, um, a product that uh, you upload your own code to is going to cost more to support. So support has to cost more and so on. And if the person's like, no, I want to write all my own code and break it in all these ways and not pay for it, that's not your target customer again. you know. So I think figuring out this target customer who wants to do stuff, but they can afford to do stuff, blah, 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 blah. Like it's again, and I'm recognizing right off the bat how hard that is. And ultimately people just kind of don't do it because they're like, I just want the money. And I don't blame anybody for that. Really, I don't blame people. Yeah, I just, still think um, the advice is correct. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up in the next couple of minutes because I'm very respectful of your time. Um, so we probably have to drop some of the other questions. But I just want to put this to you as a final. For, for understandable reasons, I'm not having a go at anybody, Jason, <laughs> honestly. Um but the consequence of Gutenberg and the, and the proliferation of page builders and the consequence, the understandable need for Gutenberg, some people had a pop at Matt and this whole concept. I actually totally understand why it was necessary. Totally understand and totally supportive of his vision because he, he was right. Um, but the consequences of how it's all panned out, this flea market aspect of WordPress in the last three years, I just think it's just even got even worse. Well, how do you respond? Do you think I'm right about that? Well, let me take those things, two things separately. The flea market aspect has kind of been true for a while. And I'm not, yeah. I don't know if it's better or worse now. Um, I, I wouldn't argue that it's not worse, but we've had, you know, tens of thousands of plugins of all shapes and sizes in the repository for a long time. And it's always been one of these like, the good news is there's thousands, there's tens of thousands of plugins. The bad one is which one do I pick? You know, and that's been true for a long time. Um, so, should that be better? Could that be better? It's a good question. Like there's there's value in having a big community of things, but there's also value in curation. Is there some way to do both with things like re reviews and in a sense SEO? Yes. And you know, you could do more of that. So I think that's a whole track of like, what do you do with the fact that it's a big community with lots of participants, but also curation matters? Um, really good question. I do think it's separate from the blocks question. Now you might say, but blocks is another thing that needs that. And I would agree with that. You know, I would agree with that still just in terms of like analyzing and asking, what shall we do? What could make it better? I would still segregate the, um, th there's tons of stuff, which has pluses and minuses. What shall we do to make that whole thing a little better um, conversation, which I think is a good one and, and a valid one. Uh, I would separate that from like blocks versus not blocks and people's, you know, the classic editor is still the most popular plugin, which shows you how people think about that. And I think that's a wholly separate um, uh, conversation. And so on that topic, I would say, um, 
WordPress is 20 years old. It's hard to imagine that you can be a technology and be 20 years old and not do some disruptive things sometimes and still be relevant at all. One could argue that WordPress shouldn't be on MySQL or at least should be supporting other kinds of things so that it could be run at the edge. One could argue that the database should be off limits completely in terms of direct access only through API so that via the API, one could do all these different kinds of configurations, bringing WordPress architecturally forward, whether it's one hosting company or another. I'm just saying like just the architecture of the thing so that more things are possible because that's how modern apps are built, period. Um that would be very disruptive also, very disruptive. Various plugins wouldn't work and blah, 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 blah. Be very disruptive. And it would probably be good, net good for WordPress. So the block editor is that level of disruption, just at a different part of the application, you know. Um, and uh, um, I, I could argue the, the whole WP admin system could use an overhaul. Just a bit, just a bit. Yeah, you know, like there's stuff everywhere. Some of the stuff's not really relevant anymore or could be put away. Plugins go everywhere. That that can be hard. There's sort of a standard in design, but sort of people do their own thing. That makes it very hard for people to use a product that, and the whole point of WordPress, well, the whole point, one of the points of WordPress clearly is that I have 20 plugins doing stuff. That's the point. And yet that makes this, this menagerie weird, crazy zoo of things in, uh, in, in WP admin. So like, that's a hard problem. Um, how do, how do you preserve people's individual control and brands, but also don't make a big mess for the end user is, a, is an interesting, hard problem. Also could be disruptive to try to solve it, but also could be wonderful for the end user to solve it. Um, so you could pick different areas of WordPress, not infinite, but there's probably like five, maybe 10 areas where you could say, this would really be a lot better net for the project, but it would also be disruptive for some subset of people. So should you do that? Yeah, you should do that sometimes. Not all at once. <laughs> That's too disruptive. But like one at a time? Hell yes. Um, otherwise, how does WordPress stay relevant and modern? Um, so I think you have to. So given that, then the question is like, well, what shall we disrupt? <laughs> like what's worth disrupting and everything? I mean, the editor is where people spend most of their time. And so making that modern, making that better, making it more pluggable, making, you know, turning from short codes, which is like, Hack central. I mean, not in a bad way. It's just like they don't have enough power to be blocks. And so they have to kind of be a hack, you know? Um, so, so that's not, I'm not casting shade on that. I'm just saying if, if, if short code hell is, is, uh, is a symptom, blocks are a solution, you know? And then the, the fact that it could be layout as well as presentation, as well as, um, also there, there's such a great answer to things like, um, oh, on mobile, the layout needs to do this other thing. Okay, do that with short codes and get back to me. <laughs> like, what are you crazy? No, you need like units, like you know, that units that that they know how to do that. Like, oh, it's columns, but on a of course on a mobile, they won't be a column. They'll be that. You know, like it's just such an obvious way to do that. And then you look at anything else in the web, other SaaS things, other dev things like React and Vue and Angular and that stuff. And a hundred percent of them use blocks. You know, Dropbox did paper, it's blocks. Notion, it's blocks. Like you just, you know, all the React view, whatever, it's all components, which is what we call blocks. Like everything is like, this is the right way to do it. And I think everyone's about right. Yes, reusable components that you can test, that you can compose, that have attributes. Yeah, that's probably right. Like it's it's not even it's not even that surprising. <laughs> you know, it's like oop, but for visual stuff. Like it just makes sense to have this. So you put all that together and it's like, should WordPress dramatically get better in the editor. 
even if it's disruptive? Yes, I think that's got to be on the short list of disruptions that are worthwhile. Are blocks the right metaphor? Yes, or at least that's what everyone in the world seems to agree. <laughs> like, I mean, if you have a better idea, let me know. But like, it certainly seems like a good idea. Um, now, now you can start arguing about details. Should it have been internationalizable earlier? Should we still be waiting two years to be to to have a good multi-language um, support in blocks? Given that we're this far into the blocks project, that I think is 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 a good argument. Yeah, yeah, we should. That should be sooner or something. That now you can argue against it too. Like, I think there's both sides to that, uh, but it's a good argument. I think that's a, that's a valid debate to have of like what is the relative importance or ordering in time of having uh, you know localization in blocks. Uh, why are we still waiting for that? Okay, should we have done full site editing before internationalization, or should it have been the other way around? I think again, arguments for both sides. Good debate though. Um, fair enough. Um, and if you're saying right now, I'm not using blocks because my site's in six languages and this makes it too hard, I think that's a pretty reasonable statement. Um, and then with full site editing, of course, it's disruptive to themes. But I would also say, well, as opposed to what should we do? Not give marketers the power to move crap around the screen because yeah. freelancers want to be paid by the hour to move crap around the screen? It's kind of a bad argument in my mind. Empowering the customer to do stuff the customer wants to do is probably what technology should do. And like, why is Elementor pop popular? Because people can do what they want <laughs> and, and not open a Jira ticket to move a pixel three, uh, move an image three pixels to the right. Now, I think there's interesting things in the middle of that, like. Well, if you let the end user do literally anything, they'll just make hideous sites. Like the colors <laughs> won't be on brand and the, it won't line up and blah, blah, blah. So is there this nice medium? And I think this is actually a great idea. And Gutenberg is going like this. And I think more of this would be great, which is designers should be able to set up the sort of boundaries and controls. You can pick a color, but from this palette, which of course you can do in Gutenberg now. Um, you can have designs, but from this set of blocks. Which again, you can pretty much do that now. But you could, you know, of course, there's more, as always, there's more features you could add to that. I mean, that's always the case. But I think more of that, where designers can sort of set up the the criteria, the limits, the things, um, but then the site owners can do stuff so that the designer can make sure you're always on brand, but the marketer can make 20 different landing pages in an afternoon and start testing them. That is great. And the argument of like, no, that's terrible. Like theme makers should just do that. And it should take three weeks to set up all those things and get approvals from the marketer. Like, no, that's not better. Sorry, it's not. And technology should be enabling that kind of stuff. And so, um, so over so high level, I think is that disruption good? Yes. <laughs> the end. Um, could you argue about some of the details of you know what things we did in what order? Sure, I think that's a reasonable debate. Uh, I get that. I, I I think internationalization is important. I think um, most people who use WordPress don't speak English, for example. And a lot of sites that are not in English support multiple languages besides, sometimes including English, sometimes not. But that's most of the sites, most of them. And so if we want WordPress to be 51% of the internet, then we need to make most people happy, which means multi-language. So why is that so far down the line when that's that's like the, the mission almost is 51%? So I think that's a pretty good argument for like, hey, man, like, let's do that already. Okay. Um, there's also accessibility concerns with the block editor. I think that's also a, an interesting set of concerns. So again, not that there's no concerns or no things to say against it. There are, uh, uh, certainly. But at a high level, so we shouldn't mess with the editor. Um, 
No, I, I, I think, I think this is a good kind of disruption. I think there's others that could come that would be good. Um, not at the same time. <laughs> I think it's, there's only so much change you can manage, especially as you're a, you are a site owner or um, agency or freelancer where you've got stuff to do besides like moving to the block editor. You've got client sites to make and you're getting paid by the hour and like you got crap to do. So, uh, you know, you've got to make some progress in life. But if I had to make three major changes simultaneously, I might say, look, I've got a, I've got a job to do. I've got to make a living over here. Stop it. <laughs> you know? So that, that, I, uh, that I would also agree with. Um, um, that's all the more reason to do a disruption, get through it, and then pick up the next one. You know, that kind of a, of a pace. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's probably good. Evolution is well, a good thing. I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks, Jason. We had about four other questions lined up. but <laughs> well, we'll have to do it, we'll, we'll do it again sometime. <laughs> so what's the best way for people to learn more about your thoughts and um, what you're up to, Jason? Sure. Online? My personal uh, site is longform.asmartbear.com. And I'm on Twitter, asmartbear. And on Mastodon, which I noticed a lot of WordPress people now are, and so I'm on there, and uh, there's it links to that on that on that website. There's links to the Mastodon thing, and uh, and of course WP Engine, which we talked about a lot, so you know that. <laughs> but yeah, right. What's the best way to for people to find you, Kurt? Uh, one of the best ways, uh, honestly, is just on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn almost every day. I'm the only Kurt Von Onen on LinkedIn, so I'm easy to find. Uh, Consequently, Jason found me on Twitter. I was thrilled when he when he reached out to me on Twitter. That was cool, and uh, and that's it. Everything with Manana Nomas on the internet generally leads to me. Uh, so I'm well branded, and I'd love to see you there. Right, we're going to wrap it now. We'll see you next week, folks, for another great interview. We'll see you soon. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group, and also to keep up with the latest news click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.